Hello and what's this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Join the show this week, as ever, we have Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Have you had a good week, mate? Yeah, smashing, Rob. Yeah, it's been a, been a really good week, actually. We've had uh, you know, rugby league action, we've had Salford uh, football at Wembley as well, plus our... Uh, with the local football team, so it's been it's been a busy week, and looking forward to dissecting it on the sport zone. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. We're talking all things uh, sport in Salford. We're going to go and start with ice hockey and the Manchester Storm. Paul, they were involved in the draft. Um, transfer this week uh, where basically 70 players were all up for grabs and it was a, a Manchester Storm managed to get a good squad together and um, I'm very excited about what I've, what I've seen and, and the kind of research I'm, I've done on them um, you know makes me think they're going to be a contender yeah definitely Rob uh, how did that go this week who were the main picks to look out for for the Storm yeah, uh, look, looking at the the draft, Craig Peacock um, is a, he's a forward. He's, he's basically made five hundred and forty appearances uh, in the in the ice hockey league. He scored one hundred and eighty one goals and two hundred and twenty assists during his career, Paul. And he's he's going to be a, a big player for Manchester Storm. You got Matt Hayward, who's also made five hundred appearances and scored seventy nine goals and one hundred and twenty one appearances. So I think them two are going to be key to to Manchester Storm's success going forward. But at the back, you got Stephen Murphy, who's the best goalie in the league by all accounts and he's going to hopefully keep the, the shutouts at the, the storm end um, and hopefully that'll uh, propel them to success Yeah certainly when will the Elite League take place? When does it start? Yeah, it starts. It's on the 3rd of April, uh, all the way to the 25th of April. They've got to play Coventry, Sheffield and Nottingham in like a round-robin competition, Paul. And then they have semi-final and a final at the end. I think it's great that they've managed to get the the ice hockey season, this elite league, up and running, especially with the pandemic and the coronavirus and a lot of sports and a lot of teams that are suffering out there. So it's great, I think, that they've managed to sort of get this competition together. And it also gives the fans you know, chance to be able to see their team play again and I think it's great and hopefully Storm will be successful Do you think Storm can challenge this year? I mean who, who are the sides we to look out for? I think we mentioned last week didn't we the, the Sheffield Steelers and you know some of the, the other the other sides in and around the, the country but Manchester Storm have they got a realistic chance? Yeah, I think they have, Paul. I think they've got a realistic chance uh, of winning this round-robin competition. Uh, Sheffield is, is the derby contest. That's the one that all the fans look out uh, look out for, Paul. And you're kind of hoping that you know they're able to raise the game and, and give Sheffield a good game there. Nottingham are a good side as well. Coventry has, have to be, be watched as well. It's going to be really interesting to see uh, what Ryan Finney can do with, with these players that he's, he's got in the in the draft. Uh, and hopefully they can, uh, they can go out all guns blazing in the in the Elite League uh, and get all the way there. I'll the way the final. So more exciting news this week. Storm have linked up with another local ice hockey team. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, uh, managed to link up with uh, Blackburn Hawks, another local side. Uh, I think it's great. It gives them the opportunity to have a bit of match practice. They played uh, this weekend between the two sides, a bit of a warm-up uh, sort of match. It gives the players and the coaches opportunity to to, to get involved in match day experiences and, and share the players as well, which which gives players experience. And, th- and that's what you want. You want your younger players to be able to play at the highest le- level possible. So these players at the Manchester Storm might get the opportunity to play at the Blackburn Hawks, and that helps the development, and it also helps the you know the ability to play ice hockey in the country as well. Because obviously these young lads coming through, if they get to a certain level and they start playing for Manchester Storm, then they can obviously go on to international honours, and uh, that's only going to benefit uh, Manchester Storm and uh, Great Britain. It certainly, is. it all sounds really exciting, Rob. Hopefully, 
you know, as the restrictions get lifted, we can get down to the the storm shelter and get behind Manchester Storm and uh, do some reporting. I mean, it sounds fascinating. It's going to be a really exciting season for them. It is, it is, Paul. It's, it's a super uh, fantastic club. It's really family orientated. Uh, you know, great views. Hopefully, they'll get be able to get down to the storm shelter in the near future and, and enjoy that sort of pre-match atmosphere. And, and we can all get behind. And we'll be following them on the Sports Zone on, on Salford City Radio, Paul, and, and seeing how they're going on. And hopefully, we'll get a few players on in the future. And you know, they'll give us wonderful insight on, on what's going on in the, in the players' side. And you know, it's great that we have these uh, ability to be to talk to athletes. And about you know what the what they're going on in their sport. Yeah, certainly. I suppose it's a bit difficult at the moment, is it, with social distancing and things like that. Particularly with the with the rugby league, I've missed that sort of interaction with the players and the, you know speaking to them after the game and and, and things like that. So uh, so that hopefully, as I said before, restrictions get lifted later in the year and we can get back to you know getting a bit up close and personal with the, with coaches and, and, and players and things like that. Yeah, it's not the same. It's not the same over Zoom, Paul. Because obviously, <laughs> no. you know, you, it's like a window in it to, into their lives. And you know, when you're in front of somebody physically, you, you can read body language better, can't you? As well, press conferences on Zoom can be a bit of a nightmare because obviously, everyone wants to ask questions. And normally, you kind of when you're in the uh, you know in the actual room with, with people, you you can read people's body languages and 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 sort of ask your question when it becomes available. But when you're in a press conference on Zoom, it's just everyone, every man for himself, unless uh, unless someone's all organised and, and sort of let everyone know who, who's asking questions when yeah so certainly it, it does it on, on zoom it tends to be uh, you know there's a bit of a running order isn't there? and you don't like sort of jumping in there you've got to wait your turn haven't you things like that so I'm, I'm sure as the season goes on we might get a bit more bit more normality let's hope so anyway yeah so we're looking forward to that at the Manchester Storm and we'll be talking all about it on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio now, let's talk Rugby League, Paul, and Salford Red Devils. They had their first pre-season friendly uh, on Sunday against Wigan Warriors. They were victorious, 20 points to six. Fantastic result for Rian, uh, for Richard Marshall's men. Uh, and you've got to be uh, chuffed with that. Certainly, yeah. It, it was it was difficult today with the conditions. I mean, it's probably rained for a, for a good number of hours before the kickoff, and the pitch was a bit greasy, and you know, it wasn't a sort of game for, for dry weather football. But both sides, I thought, handled the the ball really well, particularly Salford, and they showed some real composure in that in that first half with the the two tries that they scored. Some excellent work, you know, the the, the Callum Watkins try, you know, soccer skills there to get the ball over the over the line. And he's that sort of player. He's a very very patient player, is Callum Watkins. He's got that touchy class. He doesn't do things, you know, doesn't rush things. He, he you know he made sure he got that ball down and uh, got us off to a good start, off to a superb start. Defense was sensational as well. The only blot on the copybook was Sam Powell going over for a try under the post in that first half. But yeah, I thought you know Salford were definitely the stronger side in, in that first half, Paul. I know we're going to put out a, a youthful looking side, and they had you know maybe had a lot of players and able to rotate, but Salford did as well. And I thought we were very composed. I thought we were very strong, and and that's what sort of Richard Marshall sort of talked about. You know, in the pre-season, was all about strength and intense levels, and I, and I thought they showed plenty of that against Wigan. Yeah, it was only the first uh, game, the first pre-season game, but you could see signs of what this team will be be capable of uh, in the weeks and months to come. Yeah, certainly. I mean, a lot sometimes get made made of that. They say a lot of Wigan have got quite a youthful looking side up, but a lot of those players have played for Wigan before. If you look at the starting line, they had they had Zach Hardacre playing, Jake Bibby was on, Willie Iser, Lou Luai, Brad Singleton, Powell and Partington the, the front row, and then the, the back row of uh, of Liam Farrell and, and John Bateman. 
I mean, uh, that that's a that's a pretty good side. I think they had a, a bit more younger players, shall we say, on, on the bench. But the starting thirteen was, uh, you know, a particular first choice one. I mean, Jackson Hastings and Bevan French were missing, but don't forget Salford as well. They had Lee Mossett was missing. You had Declan Patton missing. Joe Burgess was missing. So both sides probably have got more to offer. But um, you know, if you if you'd have said before the game Salford were going to do that sort of number on a, on, a, on a good Wigan side, you would have been really impressed with that. I think for me it was the defence. I thought Salford's defence was absolutely outstanding, very solid. He had a pack of forwards there of of Armand Royd, um and Greenwood, and and young Jack Wells as well who's come in. I thought they, they were really really good. They stood up really well, and you had Danny Addy in there playing at loose forward. He's not the biggest of players, but. You know, my God, he he doesn't half put a shift in. He, he worked his his socks off in that game. And for me, Dan Sargison played. I think he played about an hour. Dan Sargison, and he was outstanding. He, he's he's from from where he left off last season. He's got straight back on the horse again. He's fully committed. All action display from him. And uh, no, very very impressed with what I saw. Two Lola here linked up really well. Kevin Brown must mention Kevin Brown. He had. Um, Quite a bit of surgery, I think, in the off season on, on his injuries and things like that. But he came back and looked really sharp. You know, 36, 37 years of age, he still looks like he's got an awful lot to offer. So, you know, Salford fans, from what I've seen on, on social media, look really, really excited and, and sound excited about this. And they're all buzzing and, and quite rightly so as well. It's You're not going to win anything in a pre-season friendly, but it's certainly a good winning start and a good confidence boost for new coach Richard Marshall. Yep, James Greenwood went off injured, Paul, uh, with a head knock. Uh, Rich Marshall spoke about that and says he's, he's kind of recovering, hoping he'll be fit uh, for, for St. Helens in the next couple of weeks in the first game of the season. But like you said, Kevin Brown, two Lola here, fantastic set of halfbacks, and, it, and he kind of just carried on where they left off last season. Uh, brilliant, I thought, two Lola here today with two at least two assists uh, in, in the game. You know, probing asking questions. I know it's early on and I know pre-season, you can't really kind of look too much into it, but he, he came back red up. He did, yeah. Just going back to, to Greenwood, James Greenwood, he said he, he was on the floor for quite a while, wasn't he, on the deck, you know, re- having treatment and it was great to see him, although he was helped off the pitch, he sort of hobbled off gingerly, uh, but he didn't have to go on the stretches. That's always a good sign. So with the, the St. Helens game being Oh, well over a week away, it's two weeks away, isn't it? So hopefully he can be back for that. But yeah, as you said, the halfbacks I thought were really good. Andy Ackers looked really sharp as well at Hooker. Um, another player I thought played really well was, was Ryan Lannan. He, he didn't have to take a whack in the face as well. I think he charged a kick down and got, got belted in the face by the ball and he, he just sort of shrugged that off and, and carried on. So uh, so yeah, and Connor Aspie came off the bench with about 20 minutes to go. I thought Connor looked really sharp. He was hungry for work round the rook. You know, he took the ball in well against you know some big players on that Wigan side, and he showed showed no uh, sort of fear fears at all. And his distribution at, at dummy half was good with his, his passing. So he's another one to watch. Matty Costello came on, impressed Chris Atkin, you know, Elijah Taylor. I thought took the ball up really well. I think everybody who played today, you know, did did really well considering it's the first game and the fitness levels as well. Really, really impressed me. I know a lot was said in the close scene about us losing uh, Greg Brown and. Um, the other gentleman as well, whose name is Cal Folkestone, the other the other gentleman who left to, to go to Huddersfield, and uh, the new guys who've come in, done a tremendous job. The players look fit as fiddle, so uh, very very impressed today. Yeah, I thought Danny Addy was was great as well. I think you, you you've got a lot of good players in that squad, Paul, who who are hungry for success. They've seen that Salford have have put on uh, some great performances in the last couple of couple of years and and reached the grand final and reached the Challenge Cup final, and they know this team is going forward and they want to be part of that and they know if they continue to work hard and continue to, to be able to put on performances and, and get results that they can you know be part of that process that go which we go from being an early team to a team that, that goes and wins stuff and, and that's what us fans you know want and that's what 
Richard Marshall wants, and that's what everyone wants that's off Red Devils. Yeah, I think another good thing about today was the, the organisation. We look very well organised. You know, sometimes when a, a side has a, a number of new players, you know, the first game they can look a bit rusty, can't they? And, you know, they look like they've all just got off the bus and just met each other and, and obviously not played together. But they did, they look like they played a number of games. And I think that goes through your training methods and what you do on the training paddock. Everything was, was well structured and... Uh, Another impressive factor, as well as the fitness, I thought was the work ethic. No, they were very urgent and the energy levels were, were tremendous and they were first to everything. It's like they wanted to win that game. Even though it's a, a pre-season game, you should want to go out and win every game because, as we said before, winning is a habit. And, you know, if you take that into your next game now, you, you can grow from that. So, you know, we, we're not saying, you, you know, beating Wigan in a friendly is, is, is going to make us win a trophy. Far from it. You know, you don't, you can't judge pre-season games, but the, what you can judge is, you know, winning matches breeds, breeds winning, I think, and, and confidence as well. So that's that's one thing that Richard Marshall is going to be excited about, I would have thought, today. And the players that came off the off the, off the bench as well, you know, Reese Williams, for one, you know, he's a starting winger for Salford last season, scored a terrific try in the Challenge Cup final. He didn't play today, but when he came on, he really wanted to make a mark. You could see that by the hunger and the work he was doing from, from dummy half, taking the ball in. So I think that's what you've got now. You've got competition for places and, and players are going to do their utmost to, when they get on the pitch to impress Richard uh, to, to start, you know, the week after. Yeah, Morgan Escalé, uh, Dan Sargent, both playing out at fullback at one point during the game. Both very impressive. It's going to certainly add to that headache uh, Richard Marshall's got who, who to play in certain positions because we've got quality all in that back five division. And, you know, when you look at the league, uh, Paul, there's, there's not many better than us in that department. Well, that's right. And you've got Joe Burgess to come back into the mix there as well. And as I said, Reese Williams, who didn't start today, but you're starting for today of CEO Watkins, Sargent, and That's a pretty good uh, three-quarter line to this. And you had Morgan Escaray into that. You know, last season we had we had nine levels and we've had for, you know, nine on a decade at Salford and tremendous player. Escaray came in today. It's going to take him a bit of time, but I think he was he was very safe at full-back. He's got a lovely sort of step and, and footwork as well. And, you know, let's have it right. That pitch today was in fantastic condition considering the, the, the conditions but it, you know as, as the, the season goes on the grounds will get drier and the pitches will get better and players like Morgan will come to the fore then really won't they with that hot stepping and that speed off the mark and that step so he's an exciting player he's definitely going to be one to watch Yep Soap with victorious in the end 20 points to 6 I spoke to Richard Marshall um, after the game in the in the press conference and this is what I had to say <laughs> Coach's corner. Good, good win and a good workout today for your team. Yeah, it was, it was, and that's exactly what it was. It was a, a real good workout. Um, it, it's nice to uh, to win a friendly, win any game. Uh, I was disappointed with the try that we conceded. I thought I thought we were a little bit sloppy there on goal line, and we've set some high standards this year in defence. Uh, so that's something that we need to look at. Uh, but we scored some nice tries, we scored some nice points, and, and I thought our skill level, I think we completed at 85%, which in horrendous conditions like that is, is, a, is a real shot in the arm for us. Yeah, you talked about intense levels in training. Did you see that on the field today, considering it was the first uh, first kick about? Yeah, we did. We did. We did. We, we saw the intensity and, and, the, and the attitude and the mindset that, we, that we've been after for a number of weeks, um, but we can't get carried away. Uh, we play the current reigning champions in two weeks' time. It will be a different game against them. 
we'll have to do everything that we did today and probably another 10% at least uh, to get ourselves in the picture against St. Helens. Uh, both uh, Dan Sargent and Morgan Estley had spells up fullback uh, today. Uh, does that add to your selection headache? They both played really well. They both did. Yeah, they both did a, a really good jobs. Um, uh, so, yeah, it does. It does. Um, we're not quite sure yet. As we said earlier, we're not quite sure. Uh, what we do know is that we've got players who can play in multiple positions and uh, basically they just play for the teammates. Uh, as long as you've got that, we won't be far off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting. You know, what a great dilemma for us as, as coaches to have. Did anyone else impress you today and put the, the marker on the starting lineup in two weeks' time? Um, yeah, I don't want to single out anybody out. I just thought the whole team uh, was really good and worked really hard. There were different players in different positions. I thought our starting first three uh, did a real good job. Seb, uh, Jack Omeroyd and Andy Ackers, uh, and they led it because Wigan uh, are ferocious. They're, you know, their pack is ferocious. It goes after you, it goes hunting. I thought we, with, we, we withstood that really well. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm working off the back of two, his kicking game. I thought that was excellent. I thought his kicks, his kick selection was really good at crucial times today. Um, so, yeah, so really happy with, that, with, with the whole performance. Yeah, all the chopping and changing the second half. The game management was still high. Must be impressed with that. I was actually, and I thought um, Elijah Taylor when he came on after offered us a different dynamic in and around that middle, uh, which was good. Chris Atkin uh, fed off the back of that. Um, so yeah, there's uh, we've worked really hard in training. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we've done so many skill sessions and so many contact sessions. You know, the, the players we've, towards the end we, they could have been broken. Uh, we just pulled back a little bit over the last week. Uh, but we've worked really hard and, and that was a, a, an eye to start the Super League really well because uh, we knew we were playing against St. Helens. Uh, so it's good that we've already had a, a little bit of a hit out against them and, and Wigan today, who, you know, it's no no easy feat beating a Wigan team. So I'm pretty happy with that. Is it obviously you've had a few bumps and bruises in, in the top of the build-up. Is that a, a good thing? Do you have to kind of break them to make them or is that a worry for you? Well, your body adaptation, um, yeah, you can't go too easy, but... Uh, we've, we've done it. It's been a, a regimented programme, but it's been a, a, a success. I think our strength and conditioning department's been outstanding. Uh, I thought the, I thought we looked strong. I thought we looked strong. Some of our young players look a lot stronger um, in and around the contacts area, uh, which is important. Uh, so they've listened, they've developed and they've adapted. Uh, and we'll still we'll still do that all throughout the season. We just got to make sure that, you know, by around 25, we're in still similar position that we're still fighting strong. Yeah, two weeks till the season starts. What's the plan now? Just tensor levels going up and up? Uh, probably a little bit of the opposite. We'll probably look after him over the next, certainly this week. We'll look after him this week. Uh, we were going to, we'll, we'll be doing some, some, some more teamwork. Again, looking on our combinations. Uh, we'll sit down as a group and we'll pan out how we want it to look at the start of the season. Um, we've not set any goals or targets. Um, but we will look at uh, St. Helens as well. Um, and that'll give us a good preparation, you know, seven, ten days to, to look at St. Helens and getting stuck into them as well. Cheers, Rick, and well done today. Thank you. Coach's Corner. So that was Richard Marshall talking to himself, Paul, uh, and he was very happy with, with the performance. He says that he thinks he'll probably need an extra 10% of, of what they gave today. 
when they play Set Island in the next couple of weeks. And that's understandable because obviously Super League, it's a very intense competition. And obviously the first game will be super intense. And he knows that, yeah, it was a good performance today, but they'll have to go two and three levels to, to you know beat Saints. They certainly will. St. Helens, uh, I mean, just looking at their squad and the, the people that they brought in, they didn't need to really sign many players because they've got a fantastic squad anyway. So they're going to be the benchmark, I think, looking at the size of their squad and the, their sort of personnel. And, and Wigan as well, I think those two sides are going to be up there challenging. St. Helens is always tough. You know, that, that's going to be a really physical game and, you know, there's the speed that they possess. So we need to be on our metal for that. But no, Richard Marshall seems to know what he's doing. The players seem to respect him. We're nothing but good stories. And one other little snippet today that I thought was fantastic, Richard Marshall before the game had his uh, Salford Supporters Trust badge on, which he's bought into. He's joined the trust. And, and that, I thought that was a nice touch that uh, Richard, you know, he seems like he wants to, well, he does. I think he will do as soon as, you know, COVID permitting, he'll be going to supporters trust events, mingling with the supporters. I think he's going to be a great asset for the club and uh, someone that we can look forward to working with. You're right, Paul, you're right. And, and it's great. He's obviously buying into the, the Salford way. He's got, he's got challenges that lay ahead because obviously he's, he's a major coach of a major team in a major competition. He was assistant coach at St. Helens, which is you know a very big position to have, but it's a different kettle of fish being the, the head coach uh, at Salford, especially because of a, a Challenge Cup last year, uh, last year and, a, and a grand final year before. You know the expectations have risen, haven't they, in, in both the the supporters and the rugby league community? So it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that pressure. Yeah, it certainly will be. But I think with him working at St. Helens, obviously, like you said, he was a number two at St. Helens. But, you know, coming from that that culture that they have there, it's a winning mentality there. They don't suffer fools at St. Helens. You know, they expect to win games, don't they, week in, week out and win trophies season after season. So he's come from there on the back of two grand final wins in two successive years. So that'll probably rubbed off on him and he'll, he'll have picked up a lot of good habits there as well. So hopefully he's, he's bringing that, that winning mentality to Salford and that experience that he's got as well. You know, he's coached at Halifax as, as a number one as a head coach he's worked with Tony Smith at Warrington and, and had success there so he served a fantastic apprenticeship and you know I, I, I really do think he, he's a good bloke you know he, he seems like he wants to you know get on board with the, the supporters and be part of something at Salford and you know that that's going to be great supporters are going to going to lap that up aren't they you know a coach who's uh, you know becomes a, a firm favourite with supporters even after the you know, a ball's been kicked. I think Richard has. I think before the season even started, before today's game, um, you know, supporters were talking about him and they've really taken to him already just with his personality. He seems a really good guy. Yeah, you're right, Paul. I think it's going to be, you know, very interesting to see what happens um, and we're all excited about what's to come in the in the uh, few weeks and months to come. So that's all the Rugby League chat. Now we'll talk boxing with Jane Sweetman and Paul Byteside. We will, Paul, and last night featured one of the great fights of the year. Juan Estrada took on the legend that is Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. The men traded punches flat for 12 rounds in a terrific contest, an extremely entertaining one, and one that made all hardcore boxing fans stand up on their feet. Most, including myself, felt that Chocolatito had done enough to win the fight. However, the judges gave it wrong and quite severely wrong by scoring it extremely wide to Juan Estrada. And week in, week out, we talk about horrific scoring in the sport of boxing, scoring that we don't see in other combat sports like mixed martial arts. We talk about how corrupt it is and how wrong it is and how incompetent it is. And every single week, judges seemingly get away with this. They get away with ruining the lives of people who've trained extremely hard to be in the position. People who've dreamed their entire lives to win world titles only to have it robbed from them right when they wanted it most. 
And now the WBA have suspended the judge who scored this contest wide. And could this signify, Paul, that we could be about to get a change in the sport for the better? I think we've got to do, James. I don't think things can go on like this. I mean, we've spoken about this a number of occasions, probably over the last 12 months or so, haven't we? Every now and again where there's been been uh, big fights, but it, it seems to be happening regular now. We seem to be talking about it nearly every week. And, you know, like you said, it, there's a chance of it sort of turning people off the sport and, and putting people off because it's making the sport into a mockery. You know, you're saying there about Chocolatito. I mean, we, we spoke before, didn't we, off air? And you had him, I think, four rounds up. I mean, I was pretty similar, really. Then we see the card going the other way. I mean, <laughs> it's just... It just beggars belief who's scoring the fight. It's like, is, is that judge gone to the toilet and missed about three or four rounds and, and come back? It's just crazy. He should have his eyes on that that fight for the full 12 rounds. And, you know, they shouldn't be this wide, the cards. It, I mean, it's difficult to say. We, we can talk about things in the sport and the underworld behind the sport sometimes, but you, you'd be, you're going quite controversial and you have to watch what you say. So... I don't know. There is is there an agenda there? I'm not too sure. But he definitely needs investigating. Something needs to happen, really. And you know, if this is a start, you know, suspending this judge, you know, let's hope it's a, you know, it's a warning to to other people and let, let's get the sport back on the on the straight and narrow. Because as you said, it, it is ruining people's careers. You know, people sacrifice an awful lot. Boxers sacrifice an awful lot, don't they, in, in their career? As do other sports, but boxing is, is different. Like that. it's not a team sport. You're putting everything on the line, aren't you, for for training camps that are six, eight, ten weeks long, three months long, or whatever. And to be robbed like people are being robbed at the moment, it's, it's unjust and it's it's not fair. Absolutely. And one of the biggest issues is that it sort of changes the narrative, doesn't it? I mean, for example, a Canelo Alvarez can fight Golovkin, you know, in most people's eyes, lose both fights and then come out as the pound for pound best. For example, last night, Chocolatito, you know, with a win, it could have signified himself as the greatest fighter of all time, or at least one of the greatest fighters of all time. And now everybody's just focusing on the robbery. In boxing, how much are the narratives changed by these these decisions? Oh, I think it's massive. I think it's massively changes things, doesn't it? And I mean, just thinking if it was any other sport, if these decisions were being made in, say, football or, or rugby league or cricket, for example, it, 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 something would have to happen because people won't stand for it. But it just seems in boxing, things just seem to get swept under the carpet and we move on. We have a bit of a chat about it. People say they're frustrated. You get the boxing board of control come out and say something, and then it just carries on. And nothing happens, does it? But you imagine that being a football match. You know, I, I don't know. You describe it as a football match. You'd be like having sort of a three or four goals disallowed in a game for no reason at all, wouldn't it? Sometimes. So, so yeah, it, like you said, it, it's changing the the, the legacy of, of boxers. And in, 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 you know, you look at the uh, the record book sometimes, and it's it's got to be spawn, hasn't it? Things have got to be right and. Yeah, I think the main worry for me is it's going to turn people off the sport because it does become a mockery then. And and people you know, have this joke, don't they, about when a fight goes to the scorecards, you know, it's a lottery and you know anything can happen. And that, that shouldn't be the case. People shouldn't be saying that. People shouldn't have those doubts. You should be able to rely on officials because they're export, experts sorry, in the, in the sport. And, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I just hope it, something can be sorted out because it needs to be. Yeah, 100%. Now, moving on to a man who's been quite controversial in the news this week. There's two stories surrounding him, and that is Joseph Parker, the former WBO heavyweight champion of the world. 
He's just lost a fight in court to remain anonymous for being tied to an international drug dealing organisation. It is important to say that Joseph Parker has not been found innocent or guilty of anything as of yet. My question is, Paul, away from what's going on in court, could this potentially affect his fight with Derek Chisora and whether that goes ahead in May or not? Yeah, it could do. Um, it's... It's not the kind of news you want behind you. Is it? It's going to affect your, your your training. It's going to affect you mentally as well. So, you know, he just wants to get his head down, doesn't he, and get on with his, his boxing and his preparation. So, it's not the kind of uh, story he wants behind him. It's something that came completely out of out of the blue for me. He really wasn't expecting something like that. You know, to be to come out in the in the tabloids and in the boxing press. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, let's hope it gets sorted out because you don't want even if you you know whether you're guilty or, or innocent or whatever, you don't want something like that hanging over you, that sort of doubt. So. Yeah, there's no doubt that's going to affect his, his camp and could affect this this year going forward now with, with potential big fights. Joseph Parker is somebody who's always had a very PC image. He's very much considered a family man who goes to church, very likeable, a good boy in many ways. So this news has come as a shock to many people. Whether he has or hasn't done this, do you think his media image and brand has been tarnished? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, when you hear stories like this, no matter what comes out at the end of it, whether you're proven innocent at the end, it does seem to tarnish people because people, you know, you, you throw sort of mud like that at someone and sometimes a bit of it sticks, doesn't it? Because, you know, that's what people think of when they, when they think of you. So, yeah, like you say there, he has been like the, the sort of nice, quiet man of, of boxing, really, with a, with a family image and, and what have you. So, so this is going to tarnish things. So, um, you know, let's just hope it... The, the, the truth comes out and things get sorted out because it's the, it's the sport as well. You don't want them sort of things hanging over the sport. I think particularly with that Panorama documentary that's been doing the rounds recently, that that harbours the sport, particularly in this country, in the United Kingdom, in a, in a bad light, I think, and, you know, starts to make people doubt the sport. Um, so you don't want that sort of bad press. And, you know, boxing's been fantastic over the last decade or so, especially in this country. We've had some great fights and, you know, it's really took off, I think, and, and become... You know, one of the elite sports in the country, but you've got, you know, there's a chance of that being being tarnished by by bad news stories like this. In the second piece of news around the Kiwi, Andy Lee has officially been named as his new trainer. Of course, Andy Lee, not necessarily the most experienced of men, but he's had a lot of time involved in camps with, you know, Emmanuel Stewart and Sugar Hill Stewart as well, helping Tyson Fury and just absorbing the knowledge that these two men have. Do you think he'll be the right fit for Joseph Parker going forward? Yeah, I think so. I think the experience is there, certainly. And um, I think that's what Joseph Parker needs now. We, we spoke about this last week, didn't we, about him changing his style. You know, he's he's been up there in the in the top end on, on charges of, of boxing for a while. And he's had a couple of defeats now. And I think he needs to change the way, the way he goes, the way he approaches things. You know, if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same result, aren't you? So I think he needs to change things, change his tactics, perhaps change the, the, way, the way he goes about his training and the way he prepares and, and things like that and the way the, his style of fighting, I think, now, if he, if he wants to, to be back up there. So, so yeah, I think this could be a positive move for him. He's an experienced guy, so I think he'll do a good job for him. Sticking around that part of the world, Anthony Mundine, former rugby player and one of Australia's greatest ever fighters, was wiped out, sadly, inside just one round by Michael Zarafa. You know, in his last three fights, there's been a couple where he's been knocked out so early. Jeff Horn did the same thing to him. And Anthony Mundine, as good as he has been for Australian boxing, is it time for him to hang up the gloves now? I think at the age of 45, uh, yeah, I think you, you could be right there now. You know, his body's took an awful lot of hammer. I think he's had about 60 fights, has he now? 
Um, that, that's a lot. That's an awful lot of fights. I mean, his boxing career far outweighed his rugby league career. Anyway, I can remember him playing for St. George or Illawarra in the, the late 90s uh, and being a fantastic player there. And he seemed to drift off to boxing um, in the peak of his rugby league career, really. But it's been a fantastic fighter in Australia and you know over the world, really. And uh, Michael Zarafa, I, I thought, you know, I thought he had a chance, Mundine, in that fight, but no, clearly, absolutely outclassed in, in, in the first round there. And, you know, uh, Zarafa's got some, some big fights behind him, hasn't he? Uh, victories and defeats over uh, with, with Jeff Horn. So he, he's up there now. So he's a good fighter. He was always going to be a difficult one for Anthony Mundine. But I think, yeah, I think at the age of 45 now, and after such an emphatic defeat like that, it probably is about the right time now for him to, uh, to call it a day. Yeah, 100%. Now, moving back over to British show. There's a big one this weekend as Lawrence Acoli takes on former world champion Christoph Kovacki for the WBO Cruiserweight Championship of the World. Now, a lot of these Olympians from the 2016 field have fallen short. You know, I mean, Josh Kelly recently lost to David Avenesian, Anthony Fowler to loss to Scott Fitzgerald. There's been so many that just haven't able to make that mark on world level. Lawrence Acoli is the first person from that crop to fight for a world title. Is he going to pull it off? I think he's got all the skills. He's got all the skills to do the job. He has. A, I mean, we, we've watched his career develop over the last couple of years. You know, at British level, he's he's had some fantastic fights, particularly the victory over Isaac Chamberlain, which I really enjoyed. Uh, this one's going to be a tough test for him, though. It really is. But you know, he's got the potential. We we saw him in the Olympics there. You know, that Glowacki's a, a really tough fighter, isn't he? Um, this is going to be going to be a difficult one for a caller, but I'm not so sure. I think he can do the job. I really do. Um, but it's going to be tough for him. It certainly is. But I think he's got the measure of this guy. Most certainly. And the WBC have caused a bit of controversy this week. They originally made a mandatory fight for Devin Haney, who would be defending against Ryan Garcia, that WBC World Championship that he owns. Of course, Teofimo Lopez is the official WBC franchise champion. WBC, similar to the WBA, have introduced a regular style belt. But he's now announced to president of the WBC that he will no longer be making Devin Haney, as both teams have requested that they marinate the fight and let it build up with both men getting a couple of wins under the belt before they fight. Is this bad for the sport of boxing that teams can now tell the WBC whether or whether they don't want to fight their mandatories? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's sometimes you you look at that and it's like the, the 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 teams, you know, the boxers' teams are sort of dictating things really. And you know, you've got a governing body in sports, haven't you? And no matter what sport there is, and you know, you've got mandatories there who who've put themselves in that position to be the mandatory fighter by doing what they've had to do. They they've gone on their journey along their sort of track. And, and beating people in front of them who they had to beat to, to get in the position of mandatory. So if you're saying you're not going to fight your mandatory, what sort of signal, what sort of message does that send out to the, the people who fought to, to challenge you? You know, they, they deserve that shot. So uh, I think that's something else that needs looking at in the sport as well. I mean, sometimes certain teams and certain fighters, they, they seem to have a bit more power behind them than others and, and sort of a backing behind them. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's something needs sorting out because if you've got a mandatory, you should have to fight him. 100%. I mean... Is this taking away from potentially making super fights in the sport by marinating fights for so long? Because a lot of the time, people stumble across banana skins and end up losing before the big fight gets made. Realistically, fans don't care. I think fans just want to see a fight between Haney and Garcia. Now, are we depriving people? Yeah, I think sometimes you are. 
Yeah, and, and we've spoke about this in the past, me and you, haven't we? We've talked about fights that never got made. We've mentioned it loads of times. Um, you know, in this country, the, the, the Brook and Cam fight is one of those fights. But for whatever reason, that's never been made. And I know that probably wasn't a, a, a sort of a mandatory challenge for either of them. But, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not saying they're ducking each other, but it, it, sometimes the, the politics in boxing make things difficult, don't they? And people just want to see the fight. The, the general public, you know, the boxing lovers just want to see that happen and get made. And for whatever reason, sometimes we seem to go around the houses and things don't get made. And they, like you said, the great word that you use, marinating it and, you know, pushing things along the line. And yeah, it, it just it doesn't seem right to me. Most certainly not. But a big fight that has been made for a British fighter is Liam Williams. The Welshman will be fighting Demetrius Andre for the WBO middleweight championship of the world. Can Williams win this one? He's looked exceptional as of late. Yes, I think he can. Um, I, I think he can. I think he's been tremendous. You know, coming up over the last couple of years, he's, he beat one of the local lads from my area, Mark Efron, and he was quite feared at that level, I think, at the time. And I think he really put him in his place um, with a ferocious performance. He's, he's a real tough, tough boxer, is Liam Williams. He's, he's, not, he's a no-nonsense guy. He's not a trash talker. He's, he's a sort of a bloke that will, will just come in and, and do the business. But, you know, for, for that weight that he fights at, he's, um, he's very, very tough, very, very heavy-handed. But he needs to be on his game for, for Andrade because he's, a, he's an excellent fighter. And you should remember going back a few years ago, he's... Um, his fight with Brian Rose, I think that was for a world title. And, you know, I had high hopes for Brian Rose at the time and he really put him in his place and he, he looked an absolute level above him. I'm trying to think, wow, well, that was, that's about six or seven years ago. Now, a, long, a lot of boxing's gone under the bridge since then, but since then, Andrade, he's, he's beat everybody in, in front of him, hasn't he? I think Luke Keeler was his last, his last victory and, you know, tremendous fighter with a tremendous record as well unbeaten in his 29 fights. So this is going to be the big, big test for Liam Williams. I think if he wins this, he then propels himself to be one of Britain's top, top fighters, doesn't he? And a household name then. But it's a massive mission for him. But he's got it. He's got that grit, that determination. He's got a fantastic chin. And that power for me, that power that he possesses, I think that can, can trouble Andrade because we know he can hit as well. But, you know, Williams is going to need that. He most certainly will. And it's a difficult one, really, because Demetrius Andrade has received so much hype in America for years. And even at one stage, he was on the pound for pound list. But he hasn't quite had that primary opponent to show his skills off. So I suppose my question to you is, Paul, just how good is Demetrius Andrade? Is he as good as the Americans make out? Is he could be a potential pound for pound star? He could be competing with the likes of Canelo? Or is he somebody that is just a lower level world champion? Without being disrespectful to him, I think, I think, yeah, I, I don't. If you look back on his record, I just mentioned a few people there, like so Luke Keeler and um, one or two others, Atlantis Fox and Jack Coulquet and people like that. They're not really names that that jump out at you. They, you know, the average, you know, person who, like you said before, who gets a takeaway on a Saturday night and watches a bit of boxing, you know, um, the, the lay persons we'll call them. They, they're not names that spring out at you and think, oh, yeah, I know him from somewhere. You know, the, the, the boxing enthusiasts will, will know who they are. So, so yeah, I'm not saying he's a, he's a plastic champion, far from it, but he's not got those wins on his, his list that the other fighters have got. And you can say, you know, you look at sort of, I'm trying to think of someone I can compare to. Say, say like a Carl Froch, you look down his list of fighters who he fought, everybody in there is like a top six, top five fighter that he fought. And Andrade's not got that. So I think, you know, if he's to beat Liam Williams, then he'll be looking at those big fights. And I think he's about 32, 33, so he's no spring, spring chicken-like, is he? But he's not got those 
those fighters on his record, really, for me. But he can only fight the people who are put in front of him, I suppose, and who his, his team chooses to fight. So, uh, But the Liam Williams fight and, and Andrade fight is going to be a cracker. And if he does go on to win Liam Williams... Is he somebody that can capture the imagination of the Welsh public in a way that, you know, Joe Calzaghi did a few years ago? Is he that talented? Because he seemed to look fantastic as of late. And even those losses to Liam, uh, to Liam Smith a few years ago, even they were controversial. Can he be an exceptional Welsh fighter? Yeah. Yes, yes, I think he can. I think he can. I think, you know, just as I mentioned before, the Efron fight a couple of years ago, he, he very he impressed me. I think that was a couple of fights after the Liam Smith, you know, the two the two doubles he had against Liam Smith. You know, the, the first fight, yeah, I think the first fight was at the Arena, Manchester Arena. And Liam Smith, for me, won that fight. The second one, I think, was in Newcastle, and that was a majority decision. He, he vastly improved uh, in that fight. Um, so sort of three, three or four years later now, he's, he's beating everybody in front of him. And I think... I think he's knocked everybody out since that, that Liam Smith fight, if I can remember rightly. So, so yeah, and he's looked fantastic as well. He really has. And as I said, he's um, he's an animal in the ring. He really is. He's, he's, his punches are so spiteful. And the way he's dealt with people recently, he's, he's looked a class above. And as you said, Joe Calzaghe, it's a big it's a big thing to live up to that. You know, Joe was, what, 43 and 0, fantastic fighter. But, you know, Liam Williams got time on his side. He's, he's what, 28 years of age. He, he beats Sam Rady. Then he can go on to, to bigger and better things then and start challenging at world level, you know, defending his belt. You know, he's, he's got to win it first. He's got to win this world title first. But I think once he has got that, I think he, he can do. He's a, he's a super fighter. And the last question of the day for you, Paul, the boxing world is stunned is one of the greatest to ever lace up a pair of uh, boxing gloves. Marvin Hagler sadly passed away. Renowned for his fight through the likes of Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard and Tommy Hearns. Somebody who's inspired millions over the world to take up boxing or at least to support the sport of boxing. Somebody who you will probably fondly remember. The world was sadly missing, won't they? Yeah, they certainly will. I'm not that. I'm not quite that old, though, James. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really remember him uh, live. I think his, his sort of last fight was in the late '80s, so it was, I was probably only little then. But I'm not as old as you think. But um, <laughs> no, he's had some. Fan, as you mentioned there, you, you're just talking about some of the guys on, it, on his on his record there, like Thomas Hearn and you know Roberto Duran. These, these are these are sort of names that go down in, in history of the sport. I mean, I've, I've read a, uh, Robert, Roberto Duran's book and, um, you know, some of those those fighters in the 80s, they were special, weren't they? Real special. And Marvin Hagler's one of those. He's he's one of those names that just springs to mind straight away, doesn't he? And, um, yeah, really sad news. That I mean, he's only 66 years of age, so it's, it's nothing that real, is it? So very, very sad news and totally out of the blue, I think, as well. I didn't know whether he'd been poor or anything. I, I didn't know that anyway, but he's certainly somebody, as you said, it's inspired people throughout the years and what a great name you know fighting some super fights through the 80s and, and inspired lots of people to get involved in the sport and gave a lot of pleasure to people as well so yeah really sad news that yep Sorry, so that's uh, all the boxing in. chat now we'll talk uh, football and we'll start with our local side uh, Salford City FC um, who were at Wembley uh, this weekend Paul and were victorious against Portsmouth at penalties fantastic result uh, for the Amis yeah, certainly, yeah, the Football League trophy, I believe. It was the 2020 competition as well, wasn't it? We've had two two games. I mean, Sunderland have won the 2021, beating the Tr- Tramia Rovers. So, great result for uh, for Salford, though, lifting that trophy. They've had to wait a long time to play in the final, haven't they, with, with the, the COVID situation and things like that. But, no, great win. We mentioned it last week, Portsmouth. It's not that long since they played an FA Cup final, so they've sort of fell from grace, really, in the, the ranks of football. But Salford City, an up-and-coming side, 
Uh, it was still challenging in, the, in League Two towards the playoffs, but this will give them uh, great confidence now. It's just a shame there was no crowd there to see them see them do it, but a uh, great result and um, a trophy that's you know, held in, in high esteem with the lower leagues, lower teams in, in football, you know, the, uh, the, the, league, um, the Football League trophy. So, great win. Yeah, Papa John's trophy, uh, winners on penalties. Uh, fantastic result for the Amis. Vladi uh, Key, the, the goalkeeper, produced two fantastic penalty saves uh, to win uh, the shootout. The actual uh, winning goal was winning penalty was scored by Jason Lowe, uh, who showed loads of com- you know the, the ability to deal with pressure, Paul, and securing that that. Last penalty for for the Amis uh, to bring the trophy on. That's pressure, and if you can deal with that kind of pressure, you can go far. Yeah, you certainly can, and um, it must have been a totally different pressure. You think of um, of Wembley Stadium on a penalty shootout. You think of like loads of people there, don't you? In particular, sort of Gareth Southgate missing one at Wembley in nineteen ninety six with a load of people there. So I bet it was totally different with with no no supporters in the crowd. So perhaps not not quite as much pressure. I'm not too sure. Or is there is there a more pressure because the eyes of the world on, on television are watching you? So yeah, cool as a as a cucumber as they say there and. And a great result for Salford City. As you say, it's a great result for the city as well. It's great that we've got two two good sporting sides now with Salford, who got to Wembley last season, the Salford Red Devils, that is, and uh, Salford City as well. And uh, great for them to bring the trophy home as well. Yeah, Vlad, Vlad Key, the goalkeeper, Paul, um, previously played in Scotland, and he, he also did a similar thing, uh, trying to keep his previous club uh, away from relegation, save two penalties in a penalty shootout. So he has farm uh, for, for this uh, kind of thing, and it's uh, it's great that he's in that Salford goal uh, now. Yeah, he certainly is. He certainly is. And let's just hope that that result today is a springboard now for Salford going forward. I mean, we're reaching sort of the business end of the season now, aren't we? You know, they've got games coming thick and fast that they play Tuesday night. They've got Colchester United and then the following Saturday, they've got got a match as well. So the, the games are coming thick and fast Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, aren't they? And they're still in a good position in the, in the league table as well. You know, looking at the table now, they're just outside the playoffs and sort of six points out, I think they have. They've got two games in hand on Morecambe, so all the teams are sort of bunching up together now. But that League 2 is fascinating because you've got 12 points, I think, separating the top 10 in the table. So anybody is, is sort of as far down as Harrogate, you're in 11th, have got a chance of making the playoffs. So Salford are right in there now with a chance. They've just got to hope they can use this as a springboard, as I said. You know, you can't celebrate too long, can you? Might have a couple of beers this weekend, but then they've got to get back out there Tuesday night. Big game for them Tuesday and uh, hit the ground running again. They've still got a great chance of, uh, of, of playoffs or even automatic promotion if they can string some results together. Yeah, I think it's really a great opportunity, like you said, for the, for the Amis to, to take that next step. You know, they talk about the class of 92 behind them, but this team is more than that. They've got some fantastic players in that in that in that team, and you really hope that they continue to build on on this success. And we can look at going into you know upper divisions further up the league ladder, and it's important for the city of Salford to have a, have a successful football team. We've got rugby teams who are successful now. If we can get a football team that's you know first division Premier League, it's only going to be great for the city. Yeah, it certainly is. It's good that they've got the class of 92 backing them, but they can't go on a pitch and do the business for them. Those players have got to do their business, haven't they? And they've just got to keep going now this season. And, you know, this season will, will be what it'll be, won't it? You know, they'll end up where they end up. And, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all getting promotion. They've got to look, they've consolidated themselves in that league too now. And, you know, if obviously they get the opportunity to make the playoffs or they string that run together, they're going to take it, aren't they, and, and, and progress. But, 
I think it's all about patience now. You know, they need to make sure they've got the, the right coaching people behind them. I know they've had a change in, in manager in in recent months and, and what have you. So they need to consolidate now and, and, and do the business. I think that's what it's all about now for them. So they've got the opportunity. Like I said, they've got the backing behind. They've got a lovely stadium there as well. And the future's bright for them. They've just not got to rush things. Just got to make sure they invest wisely. And I'm sure they'll be fine. Yeah. Let's talk uh, Man City now. Paul, uh, two wins from them uh, this weekend. They beat Southampton 5-2 and then beat Fulham 3-0. Uh, both potential banana skins, but that Man City uh, juggernaut keeps rolling. Well, yeah, it didn't. It stopped rolling last week, didn't it? The wheels fell off well and truly last week, didn't they, in the, in the derby? But they bounced back from that as well. I thought, you know, as we mentioned last week, Manchester United, I thought, was played tremendously well last week in that game. You know, Luke Shaw with a, with a, with a great goal, wasn't it? So City had to bounce back, really, and... Uh, They've done the perfect thing, haven't they? Two two really solid results. Got a massive week coming up now. As we said a few weeks ago, they're fighting on four fronts, aren't they? With the League Cup and the FA Cup as well, and Champions League. I think they play Borussia Mönchengladbach on Tuesday, and then they've got the FA Cup next Saturday, the quarterfinals with the, an away tight Goodison Park. That's going to be a tough game. You know, Goodison, um, Everton are a bit like Liverpool at the moment. They're a real Jekyll and Hyde team, aren't they? Liverpool have fell apart, and Everton at the weekend were beating at home to Burnley. So. Uh, so yeah, the only sort of consistent sides in the, the league at the moment seem to be seem to be City and, and United who are winning matches. So uh, so yeah, the, the machine keeps going and they're going to be hard to, to stop that with those two results after the derby. It's going to be hard for Manchester United to catch them now. I think if United were to catch them, they, they could have done with City slipping up again. Yeah, um, Aguero back on the score the score sheet for for Man City. Um, no, has he been missed, Paul? Obviously, he's a fantastic goal scorer uh, through his career at City. Scored loads and loads of goals. Uh, but like you said, the wheel the wheels keep turning, uh, and they look like they could be on for a quadruple. Has he really been missed? Um, I think you know a player of his quality would all, would always be missed, wouldn't he? You know he's a sensational player, isn't he? He's been a sensational goal scorer for Manchester City throughout his his career. He's been there a, a long time now. But you know the other players have chipped in with the goals. You know Gundogan has scored fourteen goals. You know and he's, he's a midfielder, really, isn't he? And Phil Foden's got I think he's got ten or eleven this season as well. So other players have stuck in. You know Raheem Sterling's up there in the, in the teens, and it got fourteen or fifteen. Uh, Jesus has got about 12, I think. So everybody's chipped in there with goals. So Aguero, yeah, of course he'll be missed. But City have got a really good squad, haven't they? They've got players who can step up there and uh, and step in. And even when we've we've seen Kevin De Bruyne out injured this season, other people have come in. You know, Fernandino's in in there. Mares has been really potent for them this season as well. Uh, Rodri as well. So they, they've got quality all over the field, haven't they, Rob? But it, it's funny you should say that. You know, someone like Aguero, you think, yeah. They, you know, they'd really struggle without him, but I think they're glad he's back in there. But they seem to do well without him anyway, just for the strength of the squad they've got. Yeah, Borussia Bunch and glad, glad back on Tuesday in the European Cup. Already two 0 up in that in that uh, first leg against them, Paul. So you're hoping that'll be a formality in the second leg, and then you've got Everton in the quarterfinals. Will be a difficult prospect, obviously. Quarterfinal FA Cup, Everton. You know, cup kings in, in previous years it will be a big test. Yeah, it certainly will. Brush your munch and glad back's probably one of the hardest names to say. It's, football. it's a real tongue twister. Um, Everton, yeah, in the FA Cup, as we mentioned, next Saturday, I think that is a tea time game. Difficult one, that. I think going to Goodison Park with a crowd bearing, I mean, 40,000 Evertonians there would be a real sort of cauldron atmosphere. It must be difficult, though, now. You know, with no crowd there, Manchester City, you know, Burnley, as I said before, beat Everton yesterday, I think it was 2 1. 
And that was a game I expected Everton to win. I think they've been they've been decent this season, but they just seem to have tailed off the last few weeks. So, so it's the FA Cup, though. You know, anything can happen in the FA Cup. You know, Ancelotti's going to have Everton fired up for that game, and uh, it's going to be a tough one for City. But yeah, as we said before, fighting on all fronts. They've got some difficult games coming up after that. They've got Leicester City away at Easter, and I think Leeds United at home the week after that. So games are coming thick and fast. But I, I fully expect them to beat Borussia Mönchengladbach on Tuesday. Yep, let's talk Man United now, James. Um, mixed week for Manchester United. Uh, drew 1-1 at home to AC Milan in the Europa League. Last-minute equaliser for the Italians. Uh, stole the uh, the away goal. And they stole the away goal. Yeah, deeply disappointing, wasn't it? It looked like we were going to see the game out, but unfortunately it wasn't to be Milan bagging one late. And it's deeply disappointing because not only does it go from a win to a draw, it's that vital away goal that AC Milan gets. So really, Manchester United need to win this fixture that's coming up midweek. And it's a tough one. We have to go away to to Italy. Never the easiest place to go. It'll be an extremely tough game. And Milan, of course, have the advantage, knowing that if they could just see the game out to a nil-nil draw, they'll go through. So Manchester United probably go into this one, the underdogs. It's a very tough fixture for them. But I still think they can pull it off. How do you feel? Do you feel a bit demoralised going into this one, Rob? But are you still confident? Well, you, you, you get disappointed, don't you, when you concede late. But it's a big test for Ole. It's a big test for the players, um, James. Because, you know, if you want to go and win in Europe and you want to be seen as a, as a top team, uh, you need to go to Italy and get a result. It's going to be tough. Um, United's record in your, in Italy isn't the greatest, apart from in 99 when they, they beat Juventus to, to get to the to the final. Um, but you're hoping that Ole's men can can find something and, and get and get that extra boost going into the, the last few games of the season because that's what United need they need that momentum uh, going forward uh, they got a bit of momentum uh, beating West Ham uh, 1-0 an own goal uh, I think by Dawson uh, for West Ham secured the points for, for United um, and that's and that's the kind of thing that, that sometimes switches your season James Yeah 100% I mean we've got a bit of momentum haven't we were beating West Ham and as we say we're doing very well aren't we in the Premier League at the moment. And Manchester United, we talk week in, week out, but they seem to be going from strength to strength. I'm very happy. I mean, they're in second at the moment. Yes, they're quite a way off Manchester City, even, you know, albeit there's a game in hand. But aside from Leicester, I see us like quite comfortably in that second place position. I can't see us coming any lower down than third. And for where Manchester United have been over the last few years, I'm exceptionally happy with that. And Rob, surely at the start of the season, you would have taken a second place finish. Yeah, I probably would have done, James. But then you get in the season and you start getting results and then you start dreaming, don't you? And we, we were close to City and then we dropped a few points, didn't we, here and there. And, you know, City being Man City and having them quality players just sort of drifted off into the distance exactly the same time when, when Liverpool started dropping off. And, you know, it's it's why Man City are now really a, a class side because they know how to win championships now and they've got players who can deliver. And it's uh, it's going to be an interesting situation what happens in the next few years because obviously Oli's building a, a team there uh, to compete with the with the Man Cities of this world and you're hoping they can find uh, enough in the market uh, to close the gap. Yeah, one million percent. And another team I want to talk to you about, Robbie, is Liverpool here, who currently stand in eighth place. But Aston Villa in ninth are only two points behind and have a game in hand. So if a win there, Liverpool could find themselves in ninth place in the Premier League. I mean, 
I mean, is it conceivable that the former champions could end up in the bottom half of the table come the end of the season? It's always difficult for defending champions to defend the title, James. And every team they play uh, will go up a notch. And and I think City, I think Liverpool, City have found a way of dealing with that. And Liverpool haven't. And and Klopp, you know, for all his, his uh, you know punk football and and you know hugging everybody, hasn't been able to 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 deal with that extra bit of spice and that extra bit of pressure. And you, you find that in any sport, football, rugby, when the champions come to town. The, the the teams who face them lift and and that's that's the important thing I think I think Liverpool haven't been able to sort of deal with with that pressure and and you can see that I suppose it doesn't don't help not having you know the the cop there to cheer them on uh, and but we'll have to see what happens obviously with a minute to go in in this show James you know you're looking at uh, like you say you look at Liverpool and you're wondering what's going on really yeah a million percent Rob it just seems like they've absolutely crumbled maybe it's the fact that you know they had this this big surge in, uh, of winning the Premier League, and they've just had a complete adrenaline dump. I mean, a side like Manchester United are used to winning titles and know how to deal with that, whereas Liverpool haven't had that for a very, very long time. So maybe the pressure's just got on top of them. Maybe the fact that they haven't had the cauldron that is Anfield to help them, maybe that's been it. Or maybe they just weren't cut out to win it again. Who knows? It's very difficult to say, and it's dangerous to know where they're going to end up. And again, Arsenal, another side who have done well in recent years, who have now found themselves in 10th. And the Premier League is just taking a weird turn, whether that's down to what just would have happened anyway, or whether it's down to the fact we're in a pandemic. I mean, it's difficult to tell. We'll be looking forward to it, and we're talking all about it on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio every week on a Tuesday. And we really enjoy your company. So make sure you tune in for more Salford Sporting Chat on the Salford City Radio 94.4.